Good afternoon. We're live. Actually, we're being we're live and being recorded from Bonaire. Uh, so we're on our panel tonight. We have Dan Darden from the uh, Counseling Center up at uh, Macon, Georgia, up on Bass Road, and Dee Dee Martin is going to be our moderator tonight. So I'll turn it over to Dee Dee. Okay. <clears throat> well, I guess I'll get right into it. Get my glasses on. Um, the section of your sermon was uh, Matthew 19, 1 through 15, and the first section um, review was on divorce. The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus or trick him in his question, um, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Well, you mentioned in the sermon divorce was ripe in the Jewish culture at that time, and I hadn't even thought about that, really. But do you think it was common in that culture to have a low view of marriage? I don't that's a great question. I don't know that it was common to have a low view of marriage per se, since it was an ordinance. I think it was a low view. It was, there was a low view of women, a low view of uh, the permanency of marriage, and so that made marriage expendable. Uh, individual marriages, not the, not the institution itself, but marriages themselves, and they probably weren't keeping statistics like we do today. And it wasn't going through a long court process either. This was a very short process, and only men could initiate this process. Right. So I think it, I think that was the setting of it. How about you, sir? Well, uh, understand too that polygamy was men to women, not women to men. Men could have more than one wife, but a wife could not have more than one husband. Right. Okay. At least. At, at the same time. Now, we know the woman at the well, obviously, she was on her fifth or what, the, her sixth and was, was living with him. But, but that, so it, the, the issue related, as Kenny just mentioned, was um, uh, it was extraordinarily difficult for women. Right. And that's why we'll probably get to the certificate of divorce thing. Uh, that's crucially important right. because of the protection of women. Mm -hmm. yeah, that was my next question. But having you said that, it seems like things haven't changed much. Well, well and to an extent, it has. I, I think the view of marriage for today. I, I think it's changed in this sense. I think women have a much higher standing before the legal system. Yes, a much higher standing. I mean, in, in 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 divorce today, I think the laws probably slightly favor women, mm -hmm. and so that that would be radical from that day. It would not be near the same because, again, women were just above property right and and so they didn't have much of a voice in the legal system nor in the cultural system i was thinking i was picking up on your word expendable oh yes um, as I'm far sorry, as the yeah, relationships the, the, and the relationships yes yes absolutely and some people they, go into marriage thinking if it's not going to work out huh, i'll just get to well first. and that's exactly right and uh, i think sometimes people like you said i see the connection now people kind of intermarriage that way sometimes now well if it doesn't work out I'll just get a divorce, and uh, well, well. By the way, if you see it, if you see it as a legal contract only, then why even get married? Why not just uh, cohabitate, live together? Because marriage is just a legal arrangement. Why do I have to formalize it mm -hmm. uh, or make it legal? Why don't I just, you know, why don't we just, you know, live together and and forget the whole marriage idea? Because they, not no pun intended, but they divorced the idea of the legal aspect of marriage from the creation ordinance of marriage. Right. You mentioned the certificate of divorce. <clears throat> that was my next question. Um, 
What was the significance of her certificate of divorce? Second question. I guess the question is, was there always a certificate of divorce, or could a woman be sent away or a wife just be set aside without it? Uh, there was not always a certificate of divorce. That was something that eventually came in through the law, okay. primarily designated to protect the woman. Right. You know, a certificate of divorce, uh, because when you, look, when you look at how it went about, you know, she, she was the one attached to adultery, not, not the husband. So a certificate of divorce enabled her, first and foremost, to get remarried. Right. I mean, that was, that was primarily for protection. And um, prior to that, I mean, imagine, I mean, you know, every culture has its stressors, but, but imagine being a, a woman in, those, in that culture mm -hmm. when um, because of the um, just uh, fickleness of how you could divorce someone, right. the stress that that person lived under. I mean, you know, you burnt the eggs or you overdid the chicken or something like that, and you could be dismissed and so sent away and then unless you had some dowry left over or you could go back to your family you were pretty well destitute mm -hmm. so it was it was um, I mean obviously I think God's sovereignty in in that whole issue there to protect uh, the lady on that but it was, uh, it was a tough culture I mean you know you're right I don't think you could ever have any particular level of uh, complete peace knowing that everything's hunky-dory Right. I was in a Bible study where they had mentioned um, the certificate of divorce could be seen as merciful. It was a form of mercy because the wife then could remarry, whereas if she didn't have a form of support or family to go back to. Right. She's dispossessed. Right. Exactly. Uh, and, and two, you, you look at this in the law of Moses, and it was for the hardness of their hearts, for, for their, their sinfulness, which had persisted. I, I think the Pharisees in Jesus' day would probably have been stung to the quick when Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts. Um, but the, the divorce does allow the woman to remarry. And another thing that it does, too, is it kept some kind of order in the land. And that's one of the reasons that women could not remarry their initial husband. So I, think, I even think in that, you know, if you have a wife and, and, and you love her, then you would think twice before sending her away, knowing that, hey, I'm not going to be able to remarry her, not on the side of the law. That's a good point. In your sermon, you mentioned children, and I've often wondered what happened to the children of divorce in that culture. And you mentioned they went to the father. They yeah. stayed with. Exactly. <clears throat> and as a, a, as a child of divorce, I went with my mother. You know? Yeah. So, and I really didn't see my father at all. <clears throat> but um, were the children deemed more valuable than their mother or than the wife? Were they male or female? <laughs> I, think, I think that it was, there was, it's apples and oranges. The, the women were, were in, a, in a sense, again, they, they're, they're owned by the husband he has the right to send them away, which again puts them, as Dan said, in a very precarious mm -hmm. position. I mean, again, you go to bed at night not knowing, especially if you live with someone who's surly, what's going to happen the next day. But then the children are, in a sense, property as well. And they're also heirs, and they're also going to carry on, most likely, the family business. 
And so the future of the children was, was very important to the family and very important to the father. I know this isn't a question, but the thought crossed my mind. If a woman was set aside or given a certificate of divorce, I didn't think about her losing her children beyond her support and her right. you know, family right. so, because she had no legal rights. Exactly. Oh. You know, Sandra, I just had a thought about um, the certificate of divorce and, and sort of an analogy, but it goes to show you how, um, wh why is there a law to challenge the what of the heart? The hardness. The hardness of the heart. Mm -hmm. Why are there any laws at all? Because of the hardness of the heart. So certificate of divorce, in a sense, was a law or something put in place because of the hardness of the heart of the husband, who obviously, if you're necessarily dismissing your wife or divorcing her, you're certainly probably not doing that out of love and compassion and care for the well-being of your wife. And uh, now, it's also an indication that certificates of divorce, as is laws, does not change the heart. And so that's, that's why Jesus went back to Genesis 2. Right. Be because in the end, all the details of the law can necessarily apply consequences, but they can't change the internal ori orientation of a person's well-being of a heart. Right. And we know because we have uh, someone sitting here deeply involved in the penal system. And so we know if it worked, there wouldn't be a penal system. Yeah. You know, too, what, going back to something that he said that I, don't, I had not thought about this, about, you know, only men had harems. And in the Old Testament, uh, especially the wealthier men, the men of higher position, if, the, if they loved someone and didn't want to dispossess them, they would keep them and just marry somebody else. And, uh, polygamy. Yeah, polygamy. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Okay. In the time of Jesus' ministry, would the extra care of widows and orphans be extended to women who were divorced? I know we may not know the answer to that, but do you think, can you speak to it, do you think? Well, well I, I know it's certainly highlighted in the writing of Paul. Yeah. But I, I would suspect that's post-resurrection. I, I think that's more oriented towards Paul's uh, appeal to that mm -hmm. because of, uh, of, uh, of Christ and that. Um, you, you, don't, you don't see a lot of that necessarily stressed right. in Jesus' time, but, uh, I mean, there's some obviously issues related to care for the children and the, and the openness to that. Mm -hmm. um, but... Um, Paul was very, a lot of his writing was to Gentiles, but uh, Paul was very tuned into the idea of taking care of widows and, and children. And you see that writing very clearly specified in, in New Covenant epistles. You see that writing too in the, in the, the criticisms of Christianity when you have the, 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 the letter to the emperor, was it uh, Trajan? I can't remember, but anyway, he talks about Christians. He talks about them maintaining the marriage bed as an undefiled marriage bed and, the, and not, not having abortions and that kind of thing as being something new in the Gentile world. Uh, the Christian view of marriage certainly was elevated uh, beyond anything that was in the ancient Near Eastern world at that time. Mm -hmm. It was a radical way of thinking. It was a radical way of thinking. That Jesus brought about. And you mentioned cutting back to creation because I noticed in that 
that's in this section of those verses, Jesus doesn't answer their question. He points them back to God's creation and the original design. He points them to the flaw in their to question. To the flaw in their question. Yeah, and then the flaw in their character. Yes, mm-hmm. to the hardness of heart. Yeah. Um, are the Pharisees hiding behind the law or trying to justify themselves in their question to be able to divorce? For In verse 3, in verse three it said, for any and every reason. I think both, depending on which school you were in. If you were in the school of Hillel and followed that school, then for any and every reason. As Josephus agrees with and Philo disagrees with, in fact, Philo says he doesn't like marriage based on the mood of the husband. Uh, If you were a follower of Shammai, the school of Shammai, then it was strictly for uh, some sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. Again, the wife only, not the the husband. And... So those were the things that they believed in, and, and I don't know, maybe the word loophole. Uh, it, it, the system suited their needs, and, it, and you see this, oddly enough, you see this in the disciples' attitude later on mm-hmm. when, G, when the disciples mm-hmm. say, well, if this, the way mar- if this is the way marriage is going to be, who wants to be married? Right. And by the way, what presses us for loopholes? Hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. <laughs> yeah. And stringency of law. Mm-hmm. Because the str- more stringent you make the law, the greater the effort to find the loophole. I mean, it's, it's amazing when you uh, study the, uh, the Sabbath and how they've made these incredible, unique exceptions in order to travel on the Sabbath. I mean, huge, these big, long, like, telephone lines around square, square areas so that people could actually move. I mean, so, so that, that is, that is the, the, the fundamental distinction, in my view, mm-hmm. in the new covenant, right? We, we move from a totally different motivation and right. orientation. Absolutely. But, but the more you press to bring about a desired outcome, the more inclined we are in our humanity to look for loopholes. Why to avoid it? I mean, if there's one, it would seem to me if there's one aspect of American government that would do that would be the IRS, right? I mean, mm. we're, we, we can, you know, the, the harder it's pressed, the more you want to find this. But I think we're sort of inclined to do that in, in life anyway. You know, we're, we're looking for some exception for self-justification or, or, the, or the pursuit of our own desires above and over and against perhaps the well-being of others. I mean, that's something we tackle all the time. Exactly. Really. Okay. How did Jesus' teaching in regard to divorce fundamentally change the role of women in Jesus' time? It would give them more security. Mm-hmm. And again, to, to, to just to go on what Dan said, in a marriage... If the husband loves the wife as Christ loved the church, which is the emblem that Paul uses in Ephesians 5, and he has much to say on marriage in other places, then the, the, the key to Christian marriage is the regenerate heart, mm-hmm. is the fruit of the Spirit working in a person's life because it is better to be married because... You love someone, and in your marriage, you're obeying Christ. Right. Not just in an issue like forgiveness or an issue like uh, fidelity, but that you are doing this because you love God, the Holy Spirit has transformed your heart, and you're able to love that person, and, and they're not an object to you. Right. 
and they're not for your pleasure or displeasure, but it is, it is two people loving Christ, ideally two people loving Christ and, and the Holy Spirit helping them love each other as they obey Christ. Well, I, I think um, Jesus certainly sets the stage for how women are, be, are to be considered and approached through his own interactions with them. Right. And that began, I think, to lay a foundation for how his disciples would begin to implement that or certainly see that and press that out a little more as the church grew. Right. Uh, obviously, women were involved in ministry. I mean, I mean, because women weren't priests. I mean, the whole system, quite honestly, was a negation of participation by the, by the woman. And uh, that, that began to change when you see women participating in the, in the gospel and things like that. They're held outside the temple proper. Right. I mean, there's a, the court of the women. Yeah. Well, they go no further. Court of the Gentiles, court of the women, then where the Jewish men go. Right. another one. How much? Like, like some of those independent Baptist churches, ladies couldn't come past the foyer with your trousers on or your pants <laughs> on. Boy, have we come a long way. <laughs> this probably plays into the same question a little bit. How might the early church have struggled with Jesus' teaching and later Paul's um, into the revolutionary ways, revolutionary ways women were affirmed and in their worth? Well, well I, I, again, I, I think, think it's, it's related to participation, to engagement, to how they were considered. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Eunice, Timothy's grandmother, was instrumental, obviously, in teaching him the gospel and raising him. And then, mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you see women sort of um, moving uh, towards, the, uh, towards all that's happening. And, uh, and, and I think that... Um, uh, it's, it's a reorientation of how they valued. Because what did Paul say related to who was in Christ? What is there not? Male or female. Male, female. Male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Mm -hmm. What's the point there? That's an issue of value, honor, significance, worth. And I, that's probably for us more readily accepted, but imagine the mindset of the Jewish man yeah. reading that and, and seeing that in Christ that that distinction is not necessarily in place. I mean, that talk, talk about a, a counterintuitive statement or certainly a countercultural statement, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty significant, and um, which is uh, in, in Christ is the great leveler. Mm -hmm. Right in Christ, there's, you know, we're all on on the level basis, and uh, you know, it's kind of an. I read this comment one time where, uh, you know, one writer said that every every Christian wants to believe that all fall short, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we still like to make comparisons of distances. You know, well, in, in Christ there was no distinction, male female. Now, that, that's not to necessarily negate the concept of roles and responsibilities, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the ability to even participate in the life, right, of the church. Very, very important, I think. Okay. I'm going to move on to the next section. Um, 
where the disciples ask their question, well, why get married? Why should anybody get married? And Jesus uses the example of eunuchs. And you brought up the point that eunuchs were looked down upon. They were unclean. In Jewish law. In Jewish law. And I I guess I had never really known that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting that he always picks up somebody that is either outcast or looked down upon, you know, as an example. Um, So to answer their question, he he mentions that um, either they choose singleness because of um, they want to renounce marriage for heaven. They were either designed that way or made that way by man. Um, in the church with single people, how can we as a church, without making them feel excluded, include them? <clears throat> Whether it be programs or... Because or, I know within the church, there's a big thing about church and family. There's two and kinds a lot of, of people There's two excluded. kinds of single people. Yeah. Those who have never been married. Correct. Those who have been married. Um, I think for those who have never been married, you, you, you treat them, this, this whole idea of, you know, when he says that they, they make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom's sake, it goes back, this is not physical, they're not neutering themselves, but they are, they are as Paul says, they are deciding to be abstinent, to, to, mm. to practice abstinence and, and to put more emphasis on the kingdom. But if you can't do this, Paul says, by all means, get married. I, I don't right. think it makes someone special or more holy because they're single, but it is a gift, mm-hmm. just like staying married is a gift. This is a gift from God. This is not something we can boast about. It's a gift from God. Uh, the second thing as far as being single uh, and ha- having been married and, and, and then divorced in the church, I think we have to treat every case. I mean, some people do wrong in a marriage they need forgiveness uh, and, and if they admit their mistake to their spouse to the, the, the people that's relevant within the church then we need to forgive and restore uh, for people who are in the role of, of forgiving in a marriage we need to help them and the, if for whatever reason that marriage dissolves we still have to offer those people for forgiveness to assure them of God's forgiveness for them and to make sure that they don't feel like second-class citizens mm-hmm. and that they are included in everything the church does. That there's no, there's no you know, in-club for, for the married people and you know, outside-club, peripheral-club for unmarried people. Uh, I mean, that, that's what I think. I'd like to hear what you think on that, Dan. <laughs> The way you highlight distinctions in anything is you make distinctions. When you quit making distinctions, you quit highlighting them. And I just happen to be of the mindset that Sunday school classes, for example, should not be divided in married, unmarried, single, divorced, things like that. I like like generational things. I like things that that are across the spectrum. I understand and realize that there's some some commonalities. You know, there's some... um, heterogeneity when it comes to the idea of, you know, geez, I'm single or I've never been married. I, I get that and understand that. But uh, what's the criteria that we can, by the way, fallaciously set forth to keep a person from being fully participative in the fellowship of the saints? Mm-hmm. Well, you get rid of that. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand there's some criteria that's applied 
for example, the elders and things like that. But sometimes we even press that so tightly that it eliminates a qualified people from participating. So I, I, I just think that um, uh, you just don't make distinctions, per se. You know, everybody has an opportunity to fully participate. And um, I, I remember when I was a boy, my mother had a good friend, female friend who was, uh, she worked with her. And uh, gosh, my mother was a switchboard operator for General Electric back in Birmingham years ago. Not that you needed to hear that, but, <laughs> but she had a friend that was a member of the Church of Christ, not, not, not alienating or isolating a particular denomination, but her friend was divorced and had to sit in the back of the church because she was divorced. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I, I imagine living with that kind of stigmatization. And folks, quite frankly, there should be absolutely zero stigma in the church. Mm-hmm. Zero. Mm-hmm. None. You know, I just, I just don't think there should be any. Because, by the way, who, who's establishing the criteria? Mm-hmm. Well, a person in the same pickle as the one who's under it. It might be a different, it might be a different issue for them. But the moment you start laying things down, and that's fundamentally was the whole thing about the pharisaical approach to, to the law. Right? But that's, that's where, how I think you do that. As best as possible, you, you, you try to eliminate something that necessarily puts the spotlight on somebody. Right? Nobody likes to be in the spotlight. No. <laughs> we move on to um, the little children in Jesus, where um, the disciples actually rebuke the parents for bringing the, the children to Jesus to bless. And um, I'm thinking that they forgot their lesson back in chapter 18. And if you want to speak to that, the words that Jesus spoke to them then. It looks okay. like they did forget their lesson in chapter 18 because Jesus has already told them, you know, of such, of such and he's not talking about childish thoughts right. uh, or, or a particular kind of faith that children have because children aren't innocent and children aren't, uh, you know, of pure faith. Children have issues. But he's talking about people who are insignificant in the culture, that they are responsibilities. And I, the, the phrase that I used was they are to be looked after, mm. not looked up to. Uh, so, and remember that came about in the, in the competition between the disciples. And so Jesus says, you're, you're like these children. You're, you're not getting into the kingdom because of your achievements, uh, because of your disposition or awards. You're in the kingdom because of God's grace. Remember, depend on God. And these disciples are, are again, forgetting this lesson that, that these little children, seemingly insignificant to the rest of society, are important to Jesus. And so they are themselves rebuked. Is there a connection in the, this section of Scripture? You, when you brought up insignificant, sometimes children are looked at as insignificant and little ones. Well, you've talked about women in divorce. They have no say. And then he brings up eunuchs and then little children. Yeah, there's just, a lot of dis- disenfranchised people here. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, the, uh, I think one of the things that, about Jesus addressing the, the concept of, of, of being a eunuch was, in my view, a, a, a statement of the value or the ability to remarry. 
for, right? for, and, for sure. Now, he, he right. does give you concrete examples of some who are born that way. That's physical. Oh, yeah. Some who are made that way, that's physical. But the third thing is exactly what you're yeah, saying. So he's not, yeah, he, he's, right. he's actually espousing exactly. remarriage, not prohibiting it. Right, exactly. And, and for those who didn't pursue marriage, that's those the point. Who, for whatever, that, that's the point. That's, the that's point. very important. Now, I, I think the issue related to the little children is more about the disciples' misunderstanding of exactly who they were with, with Jesus. Hmm. I'm, I'm not sure they quite grasped precisely who he was and how unique he was. And... Um, which is interesting because apparently the people picked on it, picked up on it, even perhaps better than the disciples. Because if they're going to bring them to Jesus, what is their assumption? That they can come. That they can come. Yeah, they can come. Yep. There, there's an availability there. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be too hard on the disciples on some level. You don't want to be too hard on Peter when he cut off Malchus's ear. I mean, you get it. We, 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 we sort of recognize and see that and, you know, Probably were it us, we would do the same thing, yeah. you know, protecting the honor of what, what they might see. But, it, but it's a good reflection of how he's about to break the notion or the tradition aspect of how children are seen. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's a lesson for the disciples. Now, the thing about Matthew we need to keep in mind, too, or, or, or Matthew takes snapshots. Th these are not necessarily in order time order. Right. These are snapshots. So sometimes we'll refer back to, did they learn their lesson in chapter whatever? It may be that it might be a, a distinction or a different snapshot or things like that. But, but the, uh, I think the issue is more about um, Jesus's availability. And remember now, he's God. I mean, he, he, he is the one to whom we look to, to understand the Father and the godness of God. We need look no further than that. Right. And that says something very powerful, I yeah. think. Absolutely. I liked how you ended your sermon today, uh, pointing us back to grace, that we all need it and that we should all extend it yes. to others you know, in, in the community of Christ. And, and, and Dan and I talked about this, but if, if, if you're going to make an, if, if you're going to take the wrong position on an issue, if you, if you, not quite sure which way to go, always err on the side of grace. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you want to talk about what you're preaching on next week? Next week, we move from uh, the family to wealth, and we'll begin with the rich young ruler and go from there. Okay. All right. <clears throat> well, if you have any final thoughts, those were the last of my questions. Okay. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we've had together tonight, and I just pray that for the audience that uh, is watching online, that they would be encouraged and lifted up through what we've said, and Lord, that it would bring them to a deeper study of your word and appreciation of your word. And for those who are here in person tonight, that we might uh, fellowship together and uh, dive deep into this text together as we continue to look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.